How well are the Biden administration and corporate America communicating about the worsening climate crisis? And what could they learn from each other? I'm Edward Siegel, author of the best-selling and award-winning book, Crisis Ahead, 101 Ways to Prepare For and Bounce Back from Disasters, Scandals, and Other Emergencies. My guest today is Stacy Rosenberg, who's an associate teaching professor at Carnegie Mellon University's Heinz College. She teaches graduate-level courses on writing for public policy and strategic presentation skills. In this episode, Rosenberg will share her insights and observations about the strategies the federal government and the private sector are using to discuss climate change and the most effective tactics and techniques they should consider using. Welcome to the show, Stacy. Tell us a little bit about your climate-related expertise as it concerns uh, crisis communications. Thank you for having me on the show. I became interested in this topic in 2005 when I did my master's thesis at NYU on how journalists were framing the issue of climate change. Now that I'm with Carnegie Mellon in the School of Public Policy and Management, I'm really interested in crisis communication and how government officials and business leaders are communicating about uh, climate crises as well as any issue that has been the subject of disinformation. Well, how well, from your perspective, do you think the Biden administration is doing when when it comes to getting the message out about the need to address the climate crisis? Biden made addressing the climate crisis a priority in terms of his campaign promises. And now the question is, can you actually act on those promises? They did pass uh, in 2022, the Inflation Reduction Act. And so, you know, essentially the White House, ha- the White House has done a great job of ensuring that uh, taxpayers know that there are some economic incentives for adopting, you know, home upgrades that are energy efficient or purchasing electric vehicles. And they created a guide that details all of these incentives. They've also messaged on the topic of job creation in the clean energy sector. So I think in terms of messaging, they've done quite well, but most importantly, they delivered on a promise. They kept a promise. If you were to assign a letter grade A to F, what letter would you give them? Look, there are going to be people who don't think there should be any government intervention at all uh, on climate-related topics. But I would say that because they kept their promise and they've been very specific about the benefits that uh, their legislation has provided, I would give them an A minus. What do they have to do to get back to an A? Uh, they would have to convince, you know, essentially in a bipartisan manner that climate uh, action now is essentially critical. And I don't think they're going to be able to get full support on that. Well, Stacy, the EPA, of course, is taking a leadership role in addressing the climate crisis for the Biden administration. But the bad news is the agency apparently has missed several of the important deadlines that was set by the Biden administration. Doesn't that send the wrong message to the public, the business community, and even federal agencies that the agency can't meet these deadlines? Absolutely. There always has to be a connection between the deadlines that leadership sets and the people that have to either implement or enforce those initiatives. And, you know, missing deadlines does uh, create a situation where you have to then, you know, manage expectations and people start wondering, is this even feasible to accomplish? Um, But, you know, we see this all the time. We see this in the business community. Uh, For example, 
Tesla is very well known for missing deadlines. And some people have dismissed this as, you know, Elon Musk having a quirky management style. But ultimately, yes, I can, you know, imagine that some people will say this is a failure in leadership. So what are the consequences, Stacey, for companies and organizations and even federal agencies uh, that miss these deadlines? Or in some cases, uh, in the private sector, uh, the companies and organizations are not doing anything at all and trying to ignore the problem. Deloitte did a study in 2021 exactly on this issue is, you know, what risk do business, businesses take by not addressing climate change? And, you know, what they found is that they really are missing an opportunity to align with their customers' core values um, and that they should essentially make sure that social initiatives are a branding strategy. Uh, the other risk that businesses take is, you know, when they don't address climate issues, then they could face disruption in their supply chain, or even their own business assets could be threatened by things like wildfires and floods. Uh, so, you know, no action is really not acceptable. You pointed out uh, Tesla as an example of a company that's not doing a good job. Can you point to companies that are uh, a role model and are doing a good job in the uh, private sector? I can, and I do think there are many. Uh, one example is the meal delivery service, HelloFresh. What they do is they have you know boxes that come into their customers' kitchens, and they communicate it directly on the packaging that they participate in carbon offset programs. And what's really great about this is it's direct to consumer messaging. They're proactively addressing the very likely concern that having the boxes delivered to homes instead of you know traditional grocery store shopping will create excessive emissions. And, you know, I think that is just that old sales technique that if you, you know, proactively address a concern, you have an answer for it, then ultimately this resolves the concern. But do you think companies should follow the lead of their customers or do you think the company should take a leadership role and ask the customers to follow them? Well, what I think they should do is, you know, follow the science. And another great example would be VF Corporation. You know, you may know VF from their outdoor brands like North Face or Smartwool. And, you know, what's great about what they do is in their sustainability report, they match their initiatives to the science-based targets initiative. And what that is, I think that's a mouthful, but essentially what it is, is an organization that guides companies to create climate plans that align with the Paris Agreement. So they try to essentially keep emissions to 1.5 degrees Celsius. And so VF communicates that these are not arbitrary goals, but rather they are science-based uh, directives. And uh, I think that that's very important. Now that said, most people aren't reading their 100-page sustainability report. Um, so another really good example is North Face, which falls under the VF umbrella. They have this fantastic climate website that features an, a high alpine climber. Um, so they're basically, instead of you know overloading their customers with data points, they're telling a story that really resonates with their consumer base. Why do you think it's so difficult for some to communicate about climate change or to get it right when they do? It is an incredibly difficult topic to communicate about. We've been hearing about climate change for decades. Scientists have been communicating about global warming since the mid-1970s. Essentially, the audience is fatigued. It's also difficult to communicate urgency when there are so many other crises that seem more immediate. You know, 
Edward, things like mass shootings, deadly viruses, police reform, labor shortages, the childcare crisis. So the question becomes, how do we engage our audience? And how do people even believe the experts that nations and companies are relying on um, in terms of setting their emissions standards? So you touch upon an important issue, and that's a matter of trust. Uh, to what degree do you think uh, the public's trust in scientists or lack of trust is playing and communicating about this crisis? There are claims that people just don't trust scientists, but surveys show the opposite. It turns out people do trust scientists. They trust scientists to engineer the products we use every day from our mobile phones to gaming systems to the cars we drive. In fact, when surveyed about trust in science in general, most people respond, yes, they do trust scientists. People believe that there should be government investment in science for most areas of their lives, except for issues that have become part of the culture war. So ultimately, we have to separate the climate crisis from other culture war topics. And that touches on another important point, and that's the fact that uh, it's become such a divisive issue. Uh, so much politics is now embedded uh, in the crisis. Do you think it would make the situation any easier to discuss if we were able to eliminate uh, politics from the debate? You know, I teach in a school of public policy. For me, it's incredibly difficult to separate the climate crisis from politics. It would be easier to discuss greenhouse gas emissions if they weren't tied to government intervention. Um, or if it wasn't tied to political platforms. Look, this is a polarizing issue, but it really shouldn't be. The opportunity to separate the climate crisis from politics is for companies to communicate why reducing emissions and implementing green design makes good business sense. Framing the, their sustainability programs as business or design decisions versus as political activity does make this issue more approachable. Scientists do talk a lot about the climate crisis, but can government agencies and companies uh, use the same tactics that they use to tackle other crisis situations, or are the strategies and techniques uh, different for this particular crisis? When people think about crisis communication, usually what comes to mind are scandals, things like executive misconduct or a major product recall a product failure. One of the most important tools in dealing with those kinds of crises is the creation of a response plan. And you know this, Edward, from your work, creating a detailed contingency plan to prepare for the realities of climate change, like supply chain disruption, is a critical tool. So yes, professional communicators can use many of the same tactics that we would normally use when responding to a crisis, whether it's one that lives in the media cycle for a short term or one that's a long-term issue like climate change. Lots of people get their information about what companies are doing from uh, the internet. Are there best practices you, you can share about companies that are doing a great job or maybe not so great a job using their websites uh, to communicate with the public? 
Sure. I, you know, some of the communication principles that we all know really play here. And what I mean by that is the, when you look at a Ford motor company, they essentially have a climate change site, but one of the pages is just a series of graphics, right? So just, you know, data and there's no text, there's no context. It's not targeted at all to their consumers. It's just graphs. And, you know, it, I don't know what point it's serving, um, and when you compare that to what North uh, Face is doing, where, you know, they have it aligned with outdoor sports and they have sort of testimonials or firsthand accounts, and it's extremely well targeted to their sort of core customer base. Um, and the language tells a story in, in very plain terms. Uh, so it isn't sort of heavy on the data, but it ultimately still uh, communicates uh, the importance of taking climate action. Um, so I think when you put those side by side, you really see sort of a best practice model and, you know, one that would benefit from improvement. Well, Stacy, from your perspective, what are some of the most important best practices that you think federal agencies and those in the private sector should follow when communicating about a crisis? Well, in addition to avoiding those hyper-politicized terms like climate change and global warming, uh, they really should think about who is their the messenger. And, you know, there's just a tendency for both businesses and even the White House to maybe over-rely on, you know, a corporate messenger like their press office. And, you know, instead, uh, it might be nice to get someone out in front of this message that, is uh, a sort of a beloved member of the community or a very popular sports figure, for instance. And this goes back to that North Face example. When North Face, you know, chose this, you know, alpine climber as the messenger for their, you know, website page on climate, they really aligned well with their target audience. Um, and so I'd really like to see more businesses do that. And we saw that a little bit during the pandemic um, where celebrities would, you know, promote the use of vaccines, for instance, or we see that in voting where celebrities will do, you know, get out the vote campaigns. I think that can also be useful for climate related initiatives. So what lessons can the Biden administration learn from these companies that you think are doing a good job in addressing the climate crisis? You know, I, it's going to be tough. I, ultimately, there is inevitably some level of distrust of government and some level of dislike of government intervention. Um, but I think they just need to stay on message and keep, you know, emphasizing the uh, creation of jobs in the clean energy sector, uh, because there has been a lot of companies that have announced layoffs, particularly in the tech sector. So, you know, it's really important for them to continue to emphasize low unemployment rates and job creation. Well, Stacey, words matter, of course, in preparing a message. Do you have any recommendations in terms of certain words or phrases that companies and organizations and even federal agencies should use when they're communicating with the public about the climate crisis? Edward, you're exactly right. I always like to say words are not neutral. And so when we hear people talk about, you know, global warming, that's a outdated term. And climate change is a hyper-politicized term. So instead of using that kind of phrasing, both businesses and government officials should focus mainly on communicating both the economic and health benefits that, you know, climate initiatives provide. And if they do have to use terminology, they can use, you know, maybe more updated language like climate security. Uh, that tends to work better than climate change. 
So going forward, what do you think are the most essential best practices that federal agencies and uh, companies and organizations should follow when communicating with the public uh, about the climate crisis? In, ad- in addition to adjusting their phrasing, they really need to think about how they're going to uh, communicate that this is not an issue of just you know glacial melt, which most people honestly just can't relate to, uh, but rather an issue that affects them in their everyday lives. You know, when you start talking about products that people love not being available or the cost of goods rising, that's what's going to resonate with people. Uh, you know, Italy is warning one third of its farm production is at risk. So if people understand that, you know, an olive grove is no longer going to exist. And so that means their olive oil doesn't exist, or at least the the cost is going to go up. That becomes meaningful to them. Uh, They're not going to necessarily understand, you know, the amount of forests lost or glacial melt, but they'll certainly understand when their uh, produce is no longer available. So you recommend people talk about uh, pocketbook issues, how it affects uh, the individuals or families directly and not uh, not talk about some larger altruistic issues. Is that right? That's exactly right. Well, in terms of best practices for communicating about a crisis, are there any other tips you can share that uh, the uh, government and private sector should consider adopting? Other tenets of crisis communication that apply here are acknowledge the situation, tell the truth, and keep it short and simple. We have to remember to use plain language, not scientific jargon, which is very difficult to do when we're communicating about climate change. Um, And we have to make sure that our information is the most up-to-date and accurate it can be. And that's really difficult, uh, but it's so important to build credibility by remaining truthful about what our plans are and ensuring that our information is accurate. And how will companies and organizations and federal agencies know if they're being successful in their efforts and in their messaging? You know, our traditional metrics and methods still work here, from customer surveys to sales data to analyst reports. I don't think we need to change um, the tools just because we change the topic. Do you think the climate change crisis is a red state, blue state, tribal issue? And if so, how do we overcome those barriers? Unfortunately, it has become a a partisan issue, and that's largely due to the amount of disinformation that we see, uh, even from government officials on this topic. Uh, But there is an opportunity here. Pew Research Center did a study where they were looking at, you know, what does it take to get Republicans to support environmental policies? And, you know, it turns out that Republicans list uh, environmental protection as one of their concerns. You know, Republicans as well as Democrats really do care um, about the protecting the environment for future generations specifically. And so if we can make sure that our messaging includes this idea that we want to make sure that land continues to be available, you know, in our national parks for the enjoyment of all our citizens, and that, you know, again, that agricultural spaces are protected, that's the way that you can bridge that uh, partisan divide. Well, speaking of difficulties, the climate crisis can be a very difficult, heavy topic uh, for many to discuss. Should we be looking for ways to make it easier for them to to talk about? And if so, what would those steps be? The climate crisis is an incredibly heavy topic. 
Um, but there is so much opportunity for positive messaging, framing the issue around innovations that result in more sustainable products or announcing that a company has won a climate leadership award the way IBM and Kohl's and Boeing have, um, or maybe that a company has achieved the highest level of lead certification the way Google has. You know, these are all positive approaches. Well, words matter in messaging, but then so do visuals. What are the elements for the most effective and impactful images that should be kept in mind when communicating about this crisis? In my role at Carnegie Mellon University, I teach visual design, including the use of photography to tell a story. If I could ask your audience right now to name or think of an image they associate with the climate crisis, I'm confident many would mention that image of a polar bear floating on a broken piece of Arctic ice. We've all seen it. But showing polar bears in the Arctic make the crisis seem too far away, too remote. Rather than using what appears to be a stock photo, a more effective image would be one that's current, attached to current events, for instance, and one that resonates with the audience. Also, organizations should get away from still images and instead create interactive visual experiences. Just as an example, Edward, you know, something like having a map of New York City or Miami Beach where users can scroll over the image to see how variations in sea level rise projections um, could cover popular tourist areas and displaced residents. Look, this is 2023. We really need to add that interactive component where it's feasible to our messaging. Companies often publish their commitments and plans to reduce emissions, but is there more they can be doing to communicate their concerns, their plans, or even accomplishments? And what can federal agencies learn from those initiatives? There is more companies can do to communicate their accomplishments and their concerns about the climate crisis. Companies can use Earth Day on April 22nd as a springboard for publicizing their sustainability programs because journalists will be looking for stories that fit with Earth Day coverage. This is a fantastic opportunity to involve their customers in Earth Day events. And federal agencies are actually already hosting Earth Day challenges to inspire innovation through events like hackathons. And you know, Edward, I was talking earlier about interacting with your audience. Agencies can be using social media to engage citizens on their plans for green design or other environmental programs. Social media can't be left out of the conversation. We're almost out of time, unfortunately, Stacy. Is there anything else you'd like to share with us uh, before we end today? Just on that last point, you know, there's a tendency to reduce the climate issue to one of budget or spending, but really it's an environmental justice issue. And we all should care about, you know, whether there's safe water available or whether our lands are protected from floods or wildfires, right? So this is ultimately a humanitarian issue and, you know, and a pocketbook issue as well. And I think reminding people that it's not just about, you know, billions of dollars of infrastructure lost, which again, might not be relatable. It truly is a matter of, you know, recognizing human needs and, you know, making sure that we're emphasizing that in our messaging. Well, thanks for joining us today, Stacey. I really appreciate your advice and your insights and your recommendations. Thank you for having me. My guest today was Stacey Rosenberg, an associate teaching professor at Carnegie Mellon University's Heinz College. Be sure to come back next week for more advice and insights on preparing for, managing, and recovering from a crisis. 
or subscribe to Crisis Ahead wherever you get podcasts. Remember, it's not a matter of if a crisis will hit your organization or company, it's when. And the sooner you're prepared for it, the better. Produced by HeartCast Media.